Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Greetings. Thanks for joining us today at the Next Level Brands podcast, brought to you as always by the team at nextlevelbrands.com. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, please check out the services offered at nextlevelbrands.com. If you're an emerging brand in the 5 to $20 million range, contact us about our upcoming masterclasses where you can learn and share with your peers. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Take your brand to the next level with Next Level Brands. Well, today we're delving into an exciting area in the better for you food and beverage landscape, meat replacements. Joining me is Dave Zilko. He's the author of Irrational Persistence and the CEO of Skinny Butcher. Dave is no stranger to the natural food industry, having manned the helm of the largest all-natural salsa brand for nearly 15 years. The Skinny Butcher brand is currently making its debut into major retailers, including Costco and Walmart. This includes a Stranger Things Skinny Butcher collaboration with Walmart, which we'll talk more about later. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. So why, so why don't we start with what's, what's the origin of the name Skinny Butcher? So I was kind of part of an Only in America story. You just referred to it. I met a I was a very struggling food entrepreneur based in Detroit and met another struggling food entrepreneur named Jack Aronson, who was $450,000 in debt that he admitted to at the time, <laughs> operating out of a little 1,100 square foot restaurant just outside of Detroit. He's yeah. taken the bus to work because his car got repossessed. He had to declare bankruptcy to hold on to his lease. And literally out of desperation, he was trying to pay his electric bill. He pulls out a five-gallon bucket in his 15 minutes, his very first shot, makes what is today artichoke garlic salsa. And he called it Garden Fresh, and he started putting it on his tables. And within a few weeks, people are standing in line on Friday or Saturday nights to get into the place. So I met him at the 2002 Fancy Food Show in New York, and we had lunch right after we got back to Detroit, and he invited me to become his partner. And we figured, what could possibly go wrong? Two flunkies from Detroit with a fresh salsa recipe, right? Right. So we built a plant, redid our branding, brought in a creative director. He's brilliant. His name is Mike Griffin. We made him a partner. I was kind of sales and strategy for the firm. So we bought a hummus company. We bought a tortilla chip company. We developed a line of dips. We did a licensing deal with Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville Food Group. Ah. So the goal was to get the company to 10 million in sales. Before we knew it, we're up to 110 million in sales. We're the number one brand of fresh salsa in North America, as opposed to getting laughed at, which is what we did the first couple of years. Pretty soon, we're kind of media darlings. We're shipping a million units a week, still making it in a five-gallon buckets, by the way. And I get invited to speak at an investment banking conference in New York. And the guy who comes after me happens to be the vice president of mergers and acquisitions for the Campbell Soup Company. <laughs> so he and I were on a panel afterwards. And we're talking a little bit. He reached out to me a few weeks after that. And one thing led to another. And we ended up selling Garden Fresh Gourmet to the Campbell Soup Company in June of 2015. Pretty nice day at the office. I wrote my book, which you were kind of mentioned, called Irrational Persistence. Right. And Irrational Persistence really chronicled our journey. Again, these two flunkies from Detroit with a fresh salsa recipe who exited to a Fortune 500 company for almost a quarter billion dollars. So afterwards, Jack set up a couple of food operations, and tragically, he noticed um, a lump in his throat, and it turned out to be throat cancer. 
So we have the same financial advisors and they asked me to get involved in what he was doing to help manage a forum. And I I was thrilled to. Uh, Jack was one of the greatest human beings ever met in my life. I, I loved him. I respected him. We were partners for 15 solid years at Garden Fresh. We never had a disagreement. He was just one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. So I, I did it for no money. But by this time, Jack had switched to a vegan diet, strictly vegan. So he and I were just kind of talking about what was going on in the plant-based protein space. And it was enjoying a resurgence, thanks to people like Beyond and Impossible and, and, and a lot of others, but primarily due to their efforts. So we decided to launch a plant-based protein brand and became partners again with our creative director. His name is Mike Griffin, who was a partner with us Garden Fresh. And we entered the plant-based protein space with a brand called Skinny Butcher. And the origins of the name are, you know, there's an old joke says you never trust a skinny butcher, but our, our butcher is winking and he's he's kind of a retro animated figure who's winking at you with a leaf behind his ear. And that's to suggest, <laughs> look, this is so good. Even I'm eating it. You can trust me. And the butcher is the second most trusted individual in the store behind the pharmacist. So that's kind of the origins of the brand are kind of only in America story. Again, extremely humble origins starting here in Detroit with not only nothing, but less than nothing, to be honest with you, you know, growing it to the number one brand sure. in North America, then starting a new venture here. In 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 that journey, Dave, the when you guys started in plant based, plant based was really beginning to to to, to kind of crest. Yeah, uh, and but well, it probably hasn't crested yet, to be honest. But I mean, the point was is people were beginning to recognize that as standalone or whatever, and we were getting a lot of traction. I think, particularly in meat replacement and dairy replacement, and mm-hmm. and you guys are obviously in 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 meat replacement. But there's another school of thought out there that says, in fact, I act, you know, like as a consumer, I have a plant based cheese brand that I, for that particular concoction of cheese that they do, I prefer it to dairy. I mean, just, and, 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 you know, and I'm a Brie eater, so it's not like it's, I'm not unfamiliar with, you know, the, the, the better of the, of the dairy foods, but when you're working with someone who's gone to veganism, gone to vegetarianism, whatever, you start looking at this idea of, okay, what can we do to substitute? Were you looking at all plant-based foods or had you kind of already honed in on the fact that you wanted to do meat? We, we kind of honed down the fact we wanted to do meat because Jack was one of the all-time great carnivores. <laughs> so for him to go to vegan, so, yeah. and again, it was for health purposes, but yeah, we, we wanted to go to meat. And from an enterprise value creation standpoint, and you just pointed it out, we saw what was happening in plant-based dairy went from nothing to now plant-based dairy is 16% of the U.S. dairy market. And, you know, we're not focusing on, on vegans who are 2% of the population. We're not focusing on vegetarians who are 5% of the population. We're focusing on a, a new category that's being developed called flexitarians. Right. And most analysts design, define flexitarianism as simply converting 25% of your animal protein consumption to plant-based, be it plant-based dairy, be it plant-based meat, be it plant-based cheese, as you alluded to. And meat right now is only 2 to 3% plant-based. Dairy is 16%. And there are environmental reasons why this almost has to happen. You know, all the stats are out there about 
you know, less water is used for plant-based, less methane is, is produced for plant-based, less land is used for environmental sustainability reasons. You know, the, a, a flexitarian society almost needs to happen. And we do believe that the wind is at our back for this category and probably will be for 10 to 15 years. Now, having said that, do I think the frenzy of a few years ago is over? I do, but I still think this will happen. It virtually has to happen. And over the course of the next 10 to 15 years, it will, as is perfectly illustrated by what's going on in plant-based dairy right now. In you know, in the growth of the category and kind of, I'll call it maybe right-sizing in, in some cases where we're going now, you're obviously very aware of the, the headlines and stuff about some of the companies cutting back and not having the expectations or whatever. But was there a mistake made by the pioneering companies who decided to take this stuff to like Burger King and Wendy's and, you know, was that the crowd that should be doing this as trial or did that in fact just cause an immediate rise out of curiosity and then a no repurchase situation? Yeah, I personally think it was brilliant for impossible to go to Burger King. I really do. You know, the goal here is not to appeal to vegans or vegetarians. The goal is to bring more people into the tent. The goal is to make this more mainstream. And I think by doing something with Burger King, that's the people we need to be speaking to. And to your point, so I'll just take our, our skinny butcher items. We looked at you know, we we when we were developing the flavor profile, we asked ourselves, why can't this be restaurant quality? And what's the hottest thing going on in the QSR space right now? It's all these southern fried chicken sandwich wars. Everybody's got one. Yep. So we just didn't develop a conventional breaded plant-based chicken item. We developed a proprietary double breading system that gives us something that we call crazy crispy. So if you think of the old Kentucky Fried Chicken original recipe and extra crispy, Crazy Crispy is akin to extra crispy. And like you with your cheese, I personally prefer it to regular chicken. So there, with regular chicken, it can be muscly, it can be sinewy. I think you get a better bite, a more consistent mouthfeel with our skinny butcher Crazy Crispy chicken breast, for example. So I do prefer the user experience to regular chicken. But at the same time, you know, when you've got cheese and condiments and a great pretzel bun on there, there is no sacrifice whatsoever with respect to a skinny butcher, crazy crispy chicken breast sandwich or an animal protein comparable. And that to me is the gold standard when there's no compromises in terms of flavor profile, when there's no sacrifices made by the consumer. Now, to your point about right sizing, I personally believe there are two things that are responsible for it. One is that not every plant-based chicken item tastes as good as a, an animal protein comparable. We believe ours does. That was a standard, a development standard of ours. But a lot of it doesn't. So if, if a lot of people are tasting a substandard plant-based meat item for the first time, they may not come back. But even more importantly, in these inflationary times, you know, animal protein is less expensive to produce simply right. because the supply chain, you know, you know, set up then plant-based. So if you're looking at an animal protein comparable, that is, is maybe roughly half of what a plant-based, you know, product is like, 
if in if households are struggling, they're going to probably gravitate toward the lower cost item. Over sure. time, I expect that to dissipate. So as the quality increases and the price differential uh, disappears, again, I, I think we will end up with a flexitarian society and we'll end up with probably about 25% of our animal protein being converted to plant-based. You know, and interesting because, yeah, the the other convergence is, again, you mentioned, you know, higher costs on plant-based still, but as volumes increase, obviously that's something that begins to, if not even out, at least become very, you know, very competitive. Um, When you were gone, because, you know, you have experience in this industry, when you were going, we mentioned at the top of the show to people like Costco and Walmart. And for a lot of folks out there are thinking, you know, if I had a really specialty product and I was on the higher end of the price range, I might consider doing something with maybe Wegmans or Air One or whatever. How, how did you choose to go after the larger the larger folks with more mainstream customers? So as I mentioned, I was kind of hard with some very talented people, Manolian America story. We we took a fresh salsa company from Detroit called Garden Fresh Gourmet, from, you know, developed in a five-gallon bucket on the back of a bankrupt restaurant, you know, and became the number one brand in North America and sold it to a Fortune 500 food company. So better to be lucky than good. But along that way, our number one customer was Costco. Our number two was Walmart. Number three was okay. Kroger. So we developed you know, very special relationships and very respectful relationships where we understood their business model, we understood their customer. So when we were designing Skinny Butcher from scratch, you know, with Garden Fresh, to be honest with you, it was better be, you know, better be lucky than good. We've kind of made careers out of that. But with Skinny Butcher, we really took the Costco member in mind kept them in mind as to what they'd be looking for, to what the Costco buyer, you know, wanted. And I'll just use our skinny butcher, crazy crispy chicken breasts. We put eight of those breasts in a box and it's merchandise and frozen grocery. And Costco tested it in their largest region, which is the Midwest. And they tried us this summer and it did better than double the other plant-based chicken item that they've ever had. And the reason was because of our brand aesthetic we specifically designed it to appeal to a Costco member. And, you know, plant-based protein is apparently white hot on the coast, but not so hot on the Midwest. They tried it in the Midwest, their largest region, 102 buildings. So it wasn't a small sample size. And plus this was grilling season. It was in the summer and we're not a grilling item. So we had a lot of strikes against us. And again, it did more than double the best plant-based item they've ever had. And it's because of our brand aesthetic, but it's also because they didn't have any animal protein comparables. So we've got this this crazy crispy double-breaded chicken breast that there's no sacrifice in terms of flavor profile. When we demoed it, it went great, but we took a very specific approach as to what kind of brand aesthetic was gonna appeal to the Costco member then really focused on flavor profile and made sure that we showed them an item that there was no animal protein that we would compete against from a price standpoint. Right. Interesting, again, for something in terms of, you know, we talk about our audience and we talk about, you know, the concept of who we're selling to and, and uh, you know, the personalities to line something up. So who is the Costco customer in that sense? Or what did you perceive as the as the personas that you were going after? You know, predominantly upscale, very similar to a target customer, certainly concerned with value, but we'll put a premium over 
quality, you know, they're, they're not absolutely price conscious. You know, you, you shop at, at Costco for a great value, but right. they're adventurous. They care. They're interested in trying new things. They appreciate grant, great brands. They appreciate, they appreciate how brands speak to them at the point of sale. Right. So again, we took a very strategic approach, you know, putting the Costco buyer first and then putting the Costco customer, Costco member, you know, from there. In 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 going forward, have you obviously I talk about this as mid-pandemic because I don't know how else to describe it, but you weathered and or kind of really were launching. We got hit with this pandemic. You get you know, basically less avenues to be able to actually sample a product to get somebody to do a taste comparison. How how did you guys work with that? And how are you working with that going forward? So we're still working with it. And frankly, it's a a really poignant observation on your part, because my experience right now is that a lot of retailers are still struggling with supply chain issues. Mm -hmm. And as a result, our launch might be delayed a little bit here because a lot of category review meetings are literally meetings that reviews that might have taken place now are being pushed out to the first quarter of next year because I think retailers to a large extent are still struggling to keep the products they have in rotation literally on the shelf right now. And their operations are overwhelmed to some extent, not to the extent they were at the height of the pandemic, but still to the point where it's tougher to bring new items in. So, you know, that's just a reality. It's a very understandable reality. But again, your point is very well taken in that a lot of operational reviews and category reviews that would be taking place now in a normal rotation are being pushed out into early next year. But it, it is coming back to normal. It certainly is. Yeah, it's 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 funny because it's kind of for a while everything stopped. And then it was like, now you can get containers, but you can't get pallets. Or the folks in the canned food industry, they're not making tin cans. They're making tin, not cans, the tin in China Yep. because whatever. And so it's like, well, what do you do if your business is canned foods? Yep. I mean, that's, you know, you can't switch over to frozen tomorrow. That doesn't work. So there's still some challenges there. I think the other thing too is a little bit of the, a little bit of the fallout from pandemic is stores don't want to get caught uh, in a situation where they would be out of stock or whatever. And so, they're continuing relationships or maybe just giving that extra two feet at the end of the of the aisle to brands that are already there rather than cutting in or you know uh going you know somewhere else i mean it's it's yeah it's still it's still a challenge and i think that's going to be around for at least another year or so before that that finally gets finally gets sorted out let me ask you real quick about so you work with a co-packer and that was a decision you guys made in the beginning that you were going to do that rather than build a plant? How'd that all come about? So at Garden Fresh, when we sold to Campbell's, we were shipping a million units a week. And I was sales and strategy for the company. We we bought some other companies. We bought a tortilla chip company. We bought a hummus company. So I'd put those deals together. And then my partner, Jack, and his wife, Annette, and his family, all five kids worked in operations. They were getting the million units a week out the door. So one of my business philosophies with respect to food is I like to control my manufacturing. I think that's very important. So as Jack tragically was struck with cancer, it became apparent to me that I wasn't going to have him to get the product out the door anymore. Yeah. So in our Garden Fresh Adventures, we met a really phenomenal company based in Los Angeles 
called Golden West Food Group. They've got right. a beautiful 350,000 square foot plant. And I introduced the skinny butcher concept to them and they just fell in love with it right away. Our brand aesthetic, our, our, our strategic vision for where we wanted to go. So they offered to manufacture the product and they do a lot of contract manufacturing. But I said to them, look, I'd like to be equity partners with you. So we develop all our intellectual property, both in terms of brand aesthetic. Uh, we have our creative director. We don't employ an agency and recipe development. We do that here in Detroit. And then we turn it all over to Golden West, who's got a phenomenal R&D department headed by a woman named Sharon Price, who I just adore personally and professionally. And they commercialize the recipes and then they produce the product and they're actually the vendor of record. So in concert with our sales effort and their sales team led by a great guy in Cincinnati named Tim White, we go to market that way. But they are very significant equity partners with us. They're not just our contract manufacturers. We're not just licensing our intellectual property to them. We are really, really joined at the hip with them. And that was by our invitation. And I'm, you know, fortunate enough they agreed to do this with us because we couldn't ask for a better partner. They've just been great. Yeah, that's in a great approach. So that kind of leads me to the next area to talk, if you would, a little bit about finance. So I, I assume the check from Campbell's cleared. So that kind of gives you a starting point uh, mm -hmm. for this, for the next venture, as it were. But I also assume that you didn't take every penny and put it into Skinny Butcher. So how did you, you know, look at building it out? Where did you need the capital first? And, and, and how did you do it? Yeah. So if my Garden Fresh partner, Jack, had not you know, been tragically struck by throat cancer. We were looking to build a plant here in Michigan. Okay. Again, when, when it looked when it looked like we were not gonna be able to move forward with him, and we tragically lost him last August. Then I, I said, "Hey, I, I need somebody to make this for us." So that's when we reached out to Golden West, and again, we invited you know them to not just be contract manufacturer, but equity partners. So that's how all that came about. So we are still funding our efforts here in Detroit internally, and then Golden West, they've got the equipment and, and again, the ability to, to make everything we need. So we have no capacity issues, blessedly so, thanks to them. Now, in terms of, you know, we, we really wanted to differentiate ourselves from any other plant-based brand on the market. So we developed a virtual restaurant concept here in Detroit under the Skinny Butcher brand. And we, we don't have restaurant experience. So we were looking for a partner, talking to a couple of people in Detroit, talking to somebody in Chicago. And yep. then we met the Lettuce Entertain You group in Chicago. Sure. Which is a phenomenal restaurant development company, north of 45 years old, with something like Gulp 33 Concepts, Repeat Gulp. <laughs> I mean, you talk about serial entrepreneurs. And they developed right. a concept called WowBow, which they took to brick and mortar and their CEO is Jeff Alexander, and they have 485 virtual restaurants going. So we met them and they really liked our virtual restaurant concept. And in the process, let us entertain you, sold 80% of WowBow to just a first-rate venture capital firm called Valor. And okay. Valor was founded in 1995, and they put together a $900 $900 million food-centric fund that they're calling Valor Siren Ventures. And it's run by just a brilliant, brilliant guy named John Shulkin. 
So John Shulkin said to us, look, we want to run with Jeff Alexander and we're going to onboard your Skinny Butcher virtual restaurant concept onto our existing WowBow platform. But he said, we think you have the best plant-based CPG strategy we've seen, partnering with Golden West and the like. So out of their $900 million Valor Siren Ventures food fund, they offered to invest in us and we closed on the investment this year. So we are taking that investment and we are strictly using it for brand building exercises. So Golden West takes care of our manufacturing needs, plants and equipment, raw materials. And then we took on this investment from Valor Siren Ventures, and we are going to be using that for brand building exercises. And then we're engaging with a terrific firm in Manhattan called MWW Mike Worldwide. They're a promotional agency, and we just had our board meeting there in, in New York last week, and they're working on some really exciting promotional stuff for us that'll be launching early to mid next year. Yeah. We, we, we like the promotional side of it. That's like the most the most fun. Real real quick, let me ask you about virtual restaurant concept for, for the folks in the audience who have, may have different ideas about what that is. What exactly was it you guys were doing? So virtual restaurants are something that really fascinate me. So you can go on to DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, and you can order a skinny butcher, crazy crispy Southern fried chicken sandwich. You got five or six recipes to choose from. You can order chicken nuggets, salads, tenders, wraps. So you order by phone, let's say with Uber Eats, right. and it is made at a restaurant down the street. Right. Could be anybody's branded restaurant, but it's made in a licensed kitchen. And Uber Eats picks it up at that place and delivers it to your door. So you order Skinny Butcher on your phone via Uber Eats. Uber Eats picks it up at a kitchen close to you, and it's all branded Skinny Butcher, then delivered to your door. So they they have us in five markets right now. And the largest virtual kitchen operator in the country, Tampa-based Reef Kitchens, tried us in Seattle, and they were so happy with it, they've committed opening 50 more within the next three or four months. So we're really happy with the response we're getting. But I think it's a tremendous different brand differentiating tactic for us. It's it's you know it's it's a brand building exercise. It's a sampling program. Sure, again, it's something that that no other plant based brand has. A major national CPG program underway with a major nas- national virtual restaurant concept, and I just think it strategically differentiates us from anybody else on the market. I I. I love that idea, Dave, until I start thinking about logistics. And then it's like when when I don't have a when I don't have a door and I don't have a parking lot, and I know that each day I'm gonna sell approximately, you know, right, 500 hamburgers and 200 chicken sandwiches. The idea of like I'm waiting for somebody to 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 go on Uber and do it. It I mean, I know you have someone who does it, but or people who do it, but the idea of logistically trying to support that in different markets must just be like a a panic job. It's surprisingly simple, which is easy for me to say because the Wabout CEO, Jeff Alexander, is doing a great job of this. You know, I I got my own problems. These are his headaches, not mine. But he's he's really figured it out. So he, he places an order with Golden West who ships it to the distributor that Wowbow designates. Right. And then Wowbow gets, or the distributor, you know, the food service distributor, gets it to the location. We're in five markets, Chicago, Kansas City, Orlando, Detroit, and Seattle right now. 
with, I believe, 20 more opening in the next couple of months. So the food service distributor picks it up from Golden West. They get it to the site. And then, you know, the site just waits for orders to come in on the Uber Eats portal. And then everything's made to order. So when the order comes in, um, you know, it is frozen food. So it's got a long shelf life. Right. They just they just build the order as it comes in. So it's it's kind of shrink-free and risk-free for everybody involved. And in this day and age, it really does work. It, it, it's funny. It's yeah, because it's it does combine that wonderful idea of experiential. You get you get survey stuff back, you 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 you're doing sampling, and yet you're covering some of the costs of obviously of or all the costs of doing that, you know, depending how how it works. We talked at the top of the show real quick about Netflix and tie-ins and promotions. You mentioned Mike Worldwide and stuff. So what are what do you guys got cooked up for promotions coming up? So the, the Netflix thing was was really beautiful. We got in touch with them because they were doing a big promotion with Walmart over Stranger Things. And one thing we're doing with Skinny Butcher that nobody else is doing, if you know, the plant-based protein, it's what I call a crowded sandbox. And if you look at all the brands in there, they take themselves very seriously. It's leaf this or leaf that, or, you know, they're suggesting that they're a chemistry project. We took a very different approach. We've got this retro butcher, somebody your grandmother would have run into it, or meat purveyor a couple times a week yeah. back in the 30s or 40s. He's he's just fun. He's winking at you. He's got a fun butcher cap on. He's got a leaf behind his ear. He is. He, we just don't take ourselves too seriously. We, you know, in terms of our brand aesthetic, we started with the question: Why can't this be fun? This shouldn't be so serious. So when I met with the Netflix team in Los Gatos, their creative team, when we were developing something for the Walmart Stranger Things promotion, if you're familiar with Stranger Things, the uh, the primary character, her name is Eleven, she goes to, it's a sci-fi thriller that takes place in the 80s, she goes to someplace called the Down Under, it's actually based in Indiana, and when <laughs> she comes up, she'll have a little, she'll have a little blood under her nostril. So we told Netflix, the creative team, go ahead and put some blood under the butcher's nostril for the Skinny Butcher's <laughs> Stranger Things Crazy Crispy Chicken Nuggets. And they said, you're crazy. You're making this is going to be the biggest marketing mistake since New Coke. But I insisted because I said that's part of our brand aesthetic. We want to put a smile on people's faces. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So they did it and we did it. And it was a three-month promotion at Walmart. And in June, we were the number one plant-based item at Walmart, beating everybody from Beyond and Impossible Burgers, the whole nine yards. So for an entire month, we were the number one plant-based item. And we just got a great response to it. So again, in terms of brand aesthetic, the question we started with is, why can't this be fun? Put a smile on people's face. These are chicken nuggets for crying out loud. And then in terms of flavor profile, why can't this be restaurant quality? There should not be a, a, a sacrifice made when you eat our plant-based items as opposed to animal protein comparables. And it's it's worked out very well to date. Again, we're the number one plant-based item in, in all of June at Walmart nationwide. And then we've got more fun promotions like that coming. We're continuing the dialogue with Netflix on other projects. And we're talking about some really special causal marketing campaigns with some major network people. And those will probably be announced first quarter next year. And we'll be rolling them out next year. Let's go for a minute to the fact that you named it Skinny Butcher and not Skinny Chicken. Are you guys looking at other meat alternatives? 
Yeah. So we, it was by design. So good for you for picking that up. And we wanted the brand to be elastic enough. So we've actually got some turkey items coming out first part of next year. We've actually got a couple fish items coming out too. But yeah, we want it to be, we want the brand to be elastic enough for be relevant in the sausage category, in ground beef, in red meat, and whatever else we may see down coming down the pike. So yeah, it's definitely by design structure to be, we, we're big believers in brand elasticity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They have it. And you put a, you know, a great, great team together and kudos to you for doing shout outs to everybody because they certainly deserve them for what's gone on. I, I think one of the things that would be so interesting as flexitarian moves in is, um, you know, what, what major retailers and Walmart is obviously a major retailer and you've done some converting there, but what retailers do looking at this, given, as you know, the very limited shelf space of refrigerated and frozen in the stores, it's, it's a battleground you're up against, you know, Orida and Tony's pizza and not for, well, maybe not share of stomach necessarily, but certainly share of door. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. And and when you're pitching, are you pitching to the fact that this is going to be new? People want to have it. It's there. Are you pitching to better margin? Are you pitching to, hey, you've got you know five SKUs of these other things over here. You probably only need two. How do you go about that? Yeah. So first of all, it's a great question. And we had a fascinating experience with a major Northeast retailer last month. And we, we looked at their frozen grocery set and they had 14 plant-based chicken nuggets, 14 varieties. And we, we started with branding. And again, everybody else takes themselves so seriously, leaf this, leaf that chemistry project. So here's this fun, kind of goofy, animated butcher who's winking yeah. at your customer in the frozen grocery aisle, developing that relationship with them right away. And then we've got this sub-brand called Crazy Crispy. And I literally said to the buyer, you know, what would your kid want? Does your kid want you pulling a chemistry project out of the freezer or something fun like skinny butcher, crazy crispy chicken nuggets? And one of my favorite anecdotes, we had a buyer in New York. We sent her a sample and she goes, I, I love the product, but my five-year-old, that's all he wants now is skinny butcher. So she literally had to save the package and put other products in there because that's what her kid wanted. So we designed this to, to connect with the purchaser in the frozen gross royale all the way through the point of consumption. And, you know, you just you just compare our brand aesthetic to everybody else on our set, and there is no comparable. Nobody's taking the approach we are. In terms of flavor profile, again, of those 14 varieties of chicken nuggets, fully 11 of them were soy-based, 11 out of 14. And soy is, is becoming increasingly unpopular, particularly with women. And we, all our items are soy-free. And we specifically designed this to eat protein. So we're, you know, I, I just said to the buyer, you put us in, we're a very different brand aesthetic. We use pea protein, which is kind of the gold standard. And then from there, we are the only brand that has this proprietary double breading system that we're calling Crazy Crispy. So very different brand aesthetic. And we use pea protein, and we would be your only non-conventional breaded item in the set. So if you're looking to drop three or four items, you could put us in absolutely different your category and elevate it at the same time. So that's the approach we're taking. Great. And again, yeah. that was all by design, how we developed the, the, the entire line from the brand through the product. 
great, great, great tactic. Yeah, it's it's it it's tough. It's tough anyway in any store on any shelf. It just gets tougher when you get refrigerated and 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 frozen. Just you know, the other question I was going to ask you on that real quick is: despite the fact that it's a non-meat product, are you generally going in through the meat buyer, or are you going in through frozen category buyer? It's a combination of both right now, but and it's a great question. Primarily frozen. And what I think is interesting about this is plant-based frozen groceries been around for decades. So Boca, I think, was founded in 89. Morningstar Farms, 97. Gardein, 2009. So this has been an established category for decades. Yeah. So, you know, we are, we're not reinventing the wheel. You know, I don't think plant-based is a fad. Again, it's already been around for 30 plus years. We're, you know, and in our experience, most retailers are expanding their frozen grocery sets. I think they're experimenting with it in meat. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But when you talk about right sizing, the only right sizing I'm really seeing is in meat. We are, you know, primarily participating in frozen grocery, which if anything is expanding, and I think it'll continue to expand, which is why I'm so bullish on this category for the next 10 to 15 years. I I think for environmental sustainability and anti-animal cruelty reasons, it almost has to expand. Right. No, oh, dude, we totally agree with you. And it's going to be going to be an absolutely fun, fun ride. Well, Dave, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. I know you're busy. Thanks for, you know, sharing your story and stuff with the folks out there. We have a segment that we call Words to Grow By, and it basically is made up of obviously words, but it can be quotes. It can be a single word. Some people use that. Some people have a favorite quote from an author or a, 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 a mentor. Do you have something you want to leave with fellow entrepreneurs today? You know, I, I wrote a book called Irrational Persistence, and I, I called it that because to, to start a company, you, you know, most companies have nine out of 10 fail. So if if you're going to start it, if you're going to do something with a, a 90% failure rate going in, that's not a rational thing to do. In fact, it's irrational. So that was the first title of my book. Yep. The second title, you know, is Persistence. I was story in the Wall Street Journal. I remember reading a couple of years ago, any company that gets off the ground, it takes them about 10 years before they really make it or not. So to to you know, to to do something where you've got a, a nine out of 10 chance of failing, you know, that's not rational. It's irrational to start a company and then to have to keep it going to persist for 10 years, you know, so that is, if I could offer entrepreneurs any perspective, it would be irrational persistence. I salute you for even trying. It's not a rational thing to do. And then to keep going for a long time, it takes a lot of persistence. So, you know, that's, if I could offer that perspective to your your audience, I I would be happy to. It's it's a tough industry. Well, again, I really appreciate Thank you for taking the time and being with us today. It was a pleasure, Steve. It really was. Thank you. Hey, hey, thanks to everybody else out there for joining us as well. If you're an emerging brand founder or team member and are interested in learning, growing, and sharing with a dynamic masterclass of peers or industry veterans, please contact us at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at Next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.